Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Impact Theory. Today, we are going to be talking all about self-soothing. Now, this is something that I discovered early in my business career was the thing that separated me from a lot of other people was it wasn't that I didn't get upset about things or that I didn't get hurt or, um, you know, have something ding my self-esteem. It was that all of those insults would happen. I would have my reaction, but I would be able to very quickly soothe myself, get my head back in the game. And in the beginning, it was, you know, before I really started working on it, it might have been three days or longer where something would upset me and I would stay upset. I would think badly about myself and I would really spiral out of control and lose a lot of time to being in that negative space. And over time, I realized this is not effective. Like if I'm trying to accomplish a goal and I spend three days worrying about some comment that somebody made or some mistake that I made or if I embarrassed myself, I just thought I'm never going to get where I want to go once I factor in how much time I spend being traumatized by something. So I want to get this window as narrow as I can. And now my goal, it's not always what I achieve, but my goal is to get the amount of time that I spend emotionally derailing on something because something upset me, to get that so quick that I spend so little time in that suffering that people don't even see it register on my face. So I went from three days to a day to a few hours to an hour to a couple minutes down to when I'm at my best, it not even registering on my face. And when you can dial yourself in like that, then the world is your oyster. Everything begins to open up because you're able to very quickly recenter yourself, get refocused on what your goal is, and then at the end of the day, taking action that actually moves you towards that goal in a meaningful and expedient way, that's what we're after. That's how you really make extraordinary things happen in your life. But so many people are either looking outward, trying to stop people from hurting them, offending them, upsetting them, making sure that they never take risks so that they can't fail, so that they're not embarrassed. That's their MO for dealing with those emotional insults. Instead of saying, hey, I'm gonna point only two thumbs at myself and I'm gonna figure out what I can do to not be a slave to my emotions, to not let things upset me, and that sense of emotional resilience and not to weaken the effect of this, you wanna to get to the point where nothing knocks you off course, where you were just completely centered. Now, of course, I'm not there. I don't know many people who are, but the closer you can get to that ideal, the more effective you're gonna be in your life. All right, question number one. What is your self-talk when you have a substantial and bitter failure? like not meeting an important deadline for your goals and realizing you're actually far behind. All right, this is one of those separating factors. When people realize that whenever you do anything other than take on that responsibility yourself, you are either permanently delaying the realization or temporarily delaying that such that you're unable to make progress. The goal of taking on the responsibility is not so that you feel badly about yourself. It's not so that you wallow in that bitter defeat or embarrassment or whatever. It is so you recognize the truth of the following statement. I'm not good at this yet, or I have not succeeded at this yet, or I made this mistake, but I'm never going to repeat it. It's the sense of the how temporary 
that failure is, how temporary that embarrassment is. And there is a phenomenal phrase that I use all the time that I invite you guys to make your self-talk, which is a Buddhist phrase, this too shall pass. This too shall pass. That's the good and the bad. It's one of the most transformational ideas that I've ever come across. Nothing good will last. Nothing bad will last. And therefore, focusing on what you can do to relish the moment, what you can do to take joy in the pursuit of progress, what you can do to take joy in any moment, just having that moment that you're alive, that there's air in your lungs, that you're able to pursue, that you have these goals. Like all of it is so improbable. Just being alive, being a human. Like when I think about, man, the number of people that die tragic deaths when they're young and the fact that I've made it to 45 is crazy. And so I want to relish that. So in this sting, in this defeat, in this loss, I'm only looking for the opportunity. What can I learn? What can I do from this? And all of it will pass. However bad this feels, it will pass. It is a neurochemical state. It is transient by nature. And the only way to hold on to it is to rehearse it, to go over it again and again and again. And that's the only way to make that stick. Now, why on earth, my friends, would you want something negative to stick? So why would you rehearse it? Why would you go over it and over it and over it? So in the worst moments of my life, the moments of deepest shame, regret, failure, fear, anxiety, I'm saying to myself, this is going to pass. I will not feel this way forever. And knowing that I'm not going to feel that way forever allows me to begin the process of not feeling like that. It is the first step on the journey of feeling better. Now, when you get good at that, you can reduce the amount of time that you stay there to next to nothing. But it starts with recognizing that there is an impermanence to pain and it's critical to focus on that. And then the last thing I remind myself is I can always get better. I will learn from this and move on. All right, next. Sometimes I worry if I self-soothe, I might overstep and become too complacent with my mistakes and don't actually learn from them for numbing that pain or discomfort that could lead me to grow. How do you self-soothe without comforting yourself to the point of losing your drive? What a brilliant question. This is so smart. All right, this is what I call the advanced class. We are now in the advanced class. This is some nuanced shit. You've got to be able to hold two competing ideas in your head. All right, so if critical life lesson number one was realizing this too shall pass and that the, there is joy in that impermanence, then critical lesson number two is that I'm holding two competing ideas in my head and that is critically important. Important idea number one, it's good to feel the pain. I need that because that's gonna give me the motivation that I need, as you so aptly point out, to actually do something about it, okay? Part of the reason that mistakes, failure, is the most information-rich data stream you will ever encounter is because when you fail, you feel pain, and pain triggers areas of the brain around memory and focus. So now I'm really looking at this thing, and I'm committing it to memory. Now, as long as I'm not 
pointing all my fingers at other people, all these people, this, the world, society, whatever, culture is victimizing me. Okay, if I don't do that, and instead, two thumbs pointed right back at this guy, then I'm reminded, oh yeah, I'm in control. I could do something different and get a different result. So I want that sting. I want to know I tried something and it didn't work because I want to trigger focus and memory. And I want to look at what I could do differently next time to get a better result. Because I know while other people are laughing at me, I'm laughing back at them because on a long enough timeline, I can be anyone at anything because I can self-soothe. I don't need it to be somebody else's problem. I don't need to point fingers at other people. I don't need to blame the culture. I don't need to blame society. I don't need to blame anybody other than myself. And even that word doesn't have power over me. It doesn't make me feel badly about myself. Yes, I am the cause of this problem in as much as had I done something different, I would have gotten a different result. Now that makes me feel empowered. So now I'm in this powerful loop of taking on the responsibility saying, I can do something different. I can change this. I can get a better result. But I wanted that sting of like really staring at my inadequacies, really looking at and analyzing my failure. And then I know the competing ideas, right? This hurts with next time I'm going to be better. And I'm not going to sit in that pain for very long because I understand, well, I need a brief moment of pain. If I spend too much time there, I'm going to get lost in the pain and I'm not going to do what I need to do, which is improve. So I never allow myself to wallow in that suffering. I want it, but I want it briefly, just enough to trigger the action. Now, how do I make sure that I walk that fine line? By one very simple thing, a rule in my life that says I only do and believe that which moves me towards my goals. So if believing that I need to beat myself up and suffer and realize that I'm a loser, if that was going to move me towards my goal, which is fulfillment at the highest level, of course, there are times where you're going to slice that up and it's going to be what are the exact things that I need to do to reach fulfillment. But as an over-level goal, I'm trying to reach fulfillment. I'm trying to live a joyful life. Okay, that's the point of fulfillment. If it were going to bring me joy to sit and wallow in what a loser asshole I am, then I would do it. But the reality is that it doesn't. It works just enough to get me moving. But once I'm moving, now I need to remind myself of all the potential that I have. That that's a step in the journey of improvement. That improvement is a foundational pillar of human happiness. That I need to be making progress in order for me to attain fulfillment. That to get fulfillment, I've got to build a set of skills really hard that there is a subconscious process in my brain rewarding me for doing hard things. So here I am. I'm doing one of those hard things, getting over that problem. So I don't stay there. I don't allow myself to stay in the negativity and the pain and the suffering, but I do leverage it to get myself moving. Now, if you're gonna err on either side, err on the side of over-soothing yourself. Because let me tell you, all the achievement in the world is going to be absolutely fucking meaningless if you had to beat yourself into emotional oblivion to get yourself to take action. So remember, the point of all of this is a joyful life. When you hear me talking about how hard I work, that I focus on my inadequacies, all of that, I do it in a way that elevates me, that makes me feel better about myself, that brings more joy to my life because I never feel trapped by who I am today. I feel completely liberated by the fact that I can become someone better tomorrow by putting in the work today. So it's just that little bit 
of suffering to get yourself moving. A little bit of focusing on the pain that you fucked up, that you could do better, that you expect better. But then it's on to focusing on progress, putting in the work, and being proud of yourself for doing that. I love that question. In today's highly unpredictable and rapidly changing world, the smartest move you can make from a financial standpoint is to actually understand how money works and how markets move. Because if you wanna have any chance of investing your money wisely and growing your financial portfolio, you have to make a profit. And the only way that you're going to do that is either by setting and forgetting or actually understanding what's going on at a macro level. So whether you're a seasoned investor or someone looking for extra guidance, today's sponsor, Yahoo Finance, has got you covered with all the tools, data, and news that you need in one place to grow your knowledge base around what is happening in the world of finance and to make sure that you have the right goals and you're executing well. Yahoo Finance makes it easy to consolidate your accounts so you can effectively and efficiently manage your entire portfolio. Personally, I love how straightforward their platform is to use. It is very simple to get the information that I need. And Impact Theory's own chief financial officer is exactly the same, spending time helping me frame exactly what is going on from a global perspective so that I'm making the smartest decisions that I can. I definitely recommend that you check out Yahoo Finance for comprehensive financial news and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. If getting your hands dirty and taking good care of your car or cars is a passion of yours, then eBay Motors is here for the ride. Because I'm sure you remember when you first saw the potential in that beauty. And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly with ebay motors brake kits led headlights exhaust kits turbochargers bumpers whatever your baby needs ebay motors has it and with ebay guaranteed fit it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time every time or your money back plus at these prices you're burning rubber not cash keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com eligible items only exclusions apply for some of us new to self-soothing, what is the core definition and what effect is it supposed to have on us? What is happening in our body? Okay. The actual neurochemistry of what's happening in your body, I don't know well enough to put it back, uh, to reiterate it, but I will say this. For sure, you have an element of serotonin in terms of how you feel about yourself. So you want to be re-anchoring yourself around a very anti-fragile idea. Shout out to Nassim Taleb. So fragile ideas of pride would be something like being smart, being right, being worthy, being good, being intelligent, anything where you can encounter somebody that's more than you. They are more worthy, they are better, or just even if it's yourself, that you fail on something, you're like, oh my God, like I could have done that so much better, right? So it can be you versus you, it can be you versus somebody else. But when you value yourself for being right, for instance, the number of times you're gonna be wrong is way too 
frequent to be a sustainable way to draw your self-esteem. But you must have self-esteem from something. So if you use something that's anti-fragile and you say, okay, I'm taking an anti-fragile approach to this. So I see myself as the learner. So the very thing that I value myself for is my willingness to face my inadequacies and get better. The very thing that makes me feel good about myself is not being right. It's not avoiding mistakes. It is not being perfect. It is in the face of the fact that I will make mistakes and that I am not perfect, that I keep going. I learn, I grow, I try again. I don't allow other people to stop me. I don't allow myself to stop me. I don't allow my failures to define me, okay? Now we've got this anti-fragile framework. Now, as we think of ourselves like that, we're getting that serotonin boost, okay? We're feeling better about ourselves. We have a, a better vision of what the future can be. The future can be better, okay? So now we just have a more joyful frame of reference, okay? It's positive, it's optimistic. And I can't emphasize optimism enough. The absolute need that you have to be optimistic about your future, it is fucking critical. And let me tell you, even if nothing in your life has ever given you reason to be optimistic, I'm telling you, starting right now, you must be optimistic. Now I can hear you asking, why, Tom? Why do I need to be optimistic if everything in my life has been a kick in the face? Because if you are wise, you are adopting my rule to not allow yourself to do or believe anything that holds you back or moves you away from your goals. Now I'll say about yourself is probably not going to do or believe anything about yourself that's going to stop you from achieving your goals because you don't want to be disconnected from reality. That's a whole another video. But for right now, you're not going to allow yourself to have a negative vision of your future or a negative vision of who you are at some fundamental level. You have the ability to change. Now, once you have that, it's a very expansive emotion. Okay? Now, serotonin, I will tell you to go listen to neuroscientists on that. Jordan Peterson has an amazing breakdown. There's somehow controversy around this whole thing about lobsters, but it gives you an idea that when you win at something, when you move up that competence hierarchy, you get this lift in serotonin, which makes you feel better about yourself and your station in life. Now, if we know that serotonin is tied to our station in life, how you view your station in life becomes as important as the objective reality about your station in life. So you want to make sure you're not adding fuel to the fire if you are over here fucking up all the time, routinely, 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 and you're getting these shots in the face, you don't want to make it worse by saying, all right, because I have messed up historically, I'm always going to mess up, I am a fuck up, and therefore nothing good is ever going to happen to me. Okay, now you're just 10xing the suffering there. You want to take an expansive view, I can get better, anti-fragile sense of self-esteem around being the learner, around improving and getting better. Yes, it may take time. Yes, it may take you more time than it takes other people. Fine then you get a double helping of serotonin for being the kind of person that sticks with it even though it's harder for you. That's the only logical way to approach it because it creates that expansive nature, okay? So that's number one. Number two is dopamine. So when you are going after a goal, when you are trying to recontextualize yourself, take that learner approach, now because dopamine is actually about anticipation, okay? It isn't the reward itself. Your dopamine levels are at their highest when you're moving towards something, when you think you're about to win. That's when dopamine really spikes. So if dopamine is the anticipatory 
reward that keeps you moving and going after things that excite you, getting this more expansive version of yourself. Also coming up, I'm going to recommend get your diet on point beyond the scope of this video to go into that. But I'll say really quickly, whole foods, just eat whole foods, things that look like it looked when it was walking around or like it looked when it was in the ground. Okay. If you stick as close to that as humanly possible, you're going to be headed in the right direction. Uh, then the next part is getting your exercise right. So actually working out, pushing yourself. And then even more important than the exercise is meditation. So you're, you can actually change the structures of your brain by meditating. Let that land. You can change the, the physical structure of your brain by meditating. You become more emotionally resilient. You become more able to focus on a task over long periods of time. A lot of really fascinating things happen when you meditate. So if I were trying to preemptively self-soothe, that's exactly what I would do. Diet, exercise, and sleep. That's a critical part. And then meditation. Word. And then get your rules in place. Get your beliefs in place. If you haven't read my 25 beliefs that everybody should adopt if you want to be successful and be able to rapidly self-soothe, you can download that for free at impacttheory.com or you can just type into Google um, Tom Bilyeu belief system. It will pop up. All right. How do you maintain a healthy balance between self-soothing and turning to others for support or upliftment so as not to become emotionally isolated? All right. Healthy relationships are a critical part of the human experience. If you truly want to live a joyful life, you need to make sure that you have close, loving relationships. If you don't currently have close, loving relationships, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Immediately address that in your life. If you need to start somewhere and you have no idea where to start, man, go to a soup kitchen. Do whatever. But get out with other people, start connecting to people, do something, some kind of way, join a, join a Facebook group, join a club, virtual or in person, whatever weird interests you have. I promise there are other people out there that have that same interest. This was so 10 years ago, maybe more, 15 years ago when I learned about furries, which I still am surprised is a thing, but it is a thing. And the fact that even pre-internet, there were entire groups of people that would meet up and this is their thing. I thought, okay, if there's people that are into that, no shade, man. If that's your thing, that's your thing. But if there is a convention's worth of people that are into that, then there is a group of people for every interest, no matter how niche. So find your people, connect. That is hugely important. And then don't look for other people to carry you, but having people in your life that support you that, and this is the easiest way to explain this. From my wife, I say, I'm not looking for sympathy, okay? I don't want you to feel bad for me. Empathy, that would be amazing. I want you to understand what I'm going through. Now, here's how it plays out. I said to her in the beginning, if ever I'm knocked to my knees, I don't want you to get on your knees with me, put an arm around me, cry with me, and tell me everything is going to be okay. It's not what I'm looking for. And even worse, I don't want you to do all that and then tell me, yeah, all of this sucks and it's shit and life, you know, life's a shit sandwich and every day is another bite. People used to say that all the time when I was a kid. 
That was like the fucking Tacoma motto. Drove me crazy. What I want, my beloved wife, when I'm knocked to my knees, which will happen, I want you to extend a hand. I want you to show that you understand what I'm going through, but I want you to pull me back up, help brush me off, and remind me of what I'm capable of so that I can soothe myself, refocus, remember that I'm the learner, and get me pointed back in the right direction. That to me is the difference between empathy and sympathy. Don't cry for me. Help me get back in the fight. So surround yourself with people that are like that. Don't look for them to carry you. Having people that remind you of what you're capable of, having people remind you of what you're capable of becoming, that's rad. That's dope shit. Surround me with people like that and I'm about it. But I don't just want somebody to cry with me. It's not going to take me where I want to go. Next. How do you soothe when you know you have a very long and hard routine of work ahead of you for days on end and the dread creeps into your mind? All right, motherfuckers. Let me tell you right now. Life is about having reservoirs of strength. Now, you have to earn that with yourself and it is going to start incredibly small. But at the end of the day, let me give you a notion that is going to serve you well. My friends, attack the fucking hill. Attack the hill. Attack the hill. Attack the hill. Don't fear the hill. Don't whine about the hill. Don't go into the hill like, oh God, this is really going to suck. Come on, motherfucker. Let's get after this shit. This is why one of the things that I look for, if you want to work at Impact Theory, let me tell you right now, every single person at Impact Theory better be a hardcore motherfucker. HCMF. I am only looking for HCMF. If you are not hardcore, if you are not prepared to push through something, I don't want to be around that. I want to be around people that attack the hill. I want to be around people that are like, yo, this is my chance. Now, let me assure you, that's a defense mechanism for how much it sucks sometimes to go through that shit. I don't seek it out. I, I don't want that stuff in my life. But when it comes, I'm going to David Goggins that bitch. I'm not here to fuck around. Like, you've got to want that. You've got to be prepared to find some switch in your mind that you can flip that even though 10 seconds ago you didn't want it, now that it's coming, what does Jocko say? Good? This is going to be hard. Good. Good. You've got to find a way to channel that to attack that, to suddenly get that level of aggression in your soul. And man, look, I have the chills. This is one of those things. My life has been a series of figuring out how to toughen up. Okay, that was not me in high school. I was not tough in any way, shape, or form. And getting into business, I realized it was constantly getting kicked in the face. And I had two choices, get the fuck out of business or learn to toughen up. Now, the gym, as much as I hate it, gave me a lot of that pushing through those extra sets when it burns to dig deep within yourself, to realize that you can push. And now even thinking back, going back earlier than that, I was almost 200 pounds at the age of 15. In fact, I was 200 pounds. I was 198. I ran cross country. My thighs would rub together so much during a race that they would bleed I would have bloody thighs at the end of a cross-country race. For the first three years, 
Well, I guess I'll, I'll give you the full story. Year number one of cross country. My sister's friend was on the team and she was three years older than me and I had a crush on her. And I was six foot almost at that point, 200 pounds, and built like a football player, but I hated football because it hurt. And she said, oh, you should run cross country. And I was like, yes, I should, because I want to be around you. And so I did cross country my first year. She graduated. I was like, this sucks. I was the slowest person in the league, not my high school, in the league. I was the slowest. We did a league match. I came in dead fucking last. So I was quite literally the slowest person in the league. She leaves. I'm like, I'm the fuck out. Peace. And then people on the team were like, no, 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 man. You're, you're super inspirational. You should stay. Because I would go to the end of the race and I would cheer people on. And I was like, oh man, it's somebody giving me positive feedback. All right, fuck it. I'll, I'll run again. So I end up running all four years. But the first three years, inside I'm doing it just to be liked. I'm doing it because people are telling me that I'm inspirational. And the fact that I've got the bloody thighs and I keep doing it. And even though I'm the slowest person in the league, blah, 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 like I show up. So, all right, cool. And then finally my senior year, I was like, mm, I want to see if I can get better. And this was, I don't remember the exact sort of beginning, the first brick that I lay of mindset, but this was, this would be one of the early ones. And I decided, okay, I'm going to try to get better. And now instead of thinking that I was cool for just showing up, I was like, let me push myself. And realizing that, and this is where the phrase attack the hill comes from my cross country coach. When you're coming up on a hill, and it already hurts, and your lungs are burning, and your thighs are bleeding. Hill's not an exciting part of the race. But there's something about channeling aggression, of having that gear, of not only feeling nice, pleasant, courteous, but being like, fuck this hill. I'm going after this hill. And even though it's an inanimate object, I'm going to beat it up. And so you would run faster up the hill and you would just feel that sense of like anger and attack mode and just that aggressive impulse. And so often people push back on that. And that's one thing in my personality that people don't like. And I'm always sad when people rule that out as a, a tool that nature has given you. Jordan Peterson gave me a really interesting idea. And I don't know if he's right about the language interpretation of the word meek. But in the Bible, and I am not religious, but in the Bible they say the meek shall inherit the earth. It always rubbed me the wrong way. It's like, why the fuck? Would weak people inherit the earth? And Peterson's interpretation is that the ancient word that we have translated as meek actually carried the connotations of being a hardcore motherfucker, but keeping your sword sheathed. So you know you can fight. You know you can attack. But you don't. But if you've ever noticed that people that are truly skilled fighters, they just kind of move through the world differently. 
because they know they could fight if they needed to. So there isn't that anxiety of, will this become a fight? There is a confidence that they could step into that moment. We can all have that psychologically. You can have it physically if you're willing to train to fight, but you can still have it psychologically. And that is to realize that you have to be willing to charge at something in your life. You have to be willing to face fear, pain, failure, embarrassment. And when you're prepared to endure suffering, that all of a sudden the, the question mark of what you will do in that face of suffering goes away. And when the question mark around suffering goes away, and you know, I will endure this. I will do whatever it takes within my code of ethics. But within my code of ethics, I'll do whatever it takes to achieve my goals. I will endure any amount of suffering to grow and to get better, to uplift myself and other people. When you know that about yourself, and it started small, and you earned a little more credibility, and a little more, and a little more, and you show up, and you attack another hill, and another hill, and another hill. When you know that about yourself, then you begin to understand that aggression is powerful. You just don't want to wield it all the time. For the most part, you want to leave your sword sheathed. But to know that you have a sword and that you know how to use it is unbelievably liberating. So, when the dread creeps into my mind that I'm about to do something hard, I remind myself that I'm a hardcore motherfucker and I will endure whatever I must in order to achieve my goals. And I've proven it to myself time and time and time again. And in the beginning, when I didn't believe in myself and I had not yet earned it, I believed that I could earn it. Start small, get strong, and over time you will be startled at how strong mentally, physically, emotionally you can become. And that, my friends, is the perfect note to end this on. Because I'm telling you, you can become extraordinary. It will take time, it will take persistence, it will take growth, it will take getting stronger, but it is possible. It is possible to believe in yourself, to fail, and know one thing above all else, I'll learn from this. And when you learn from it and you grow and you get better, you'll realize on a long enough timeline, I can beat anyone at anything. And even if that's a lie, it's an empowering lie. And I'm going to do and believe that which moves me towards my goals. And let me tell you, even if you can't beat anyone, the reality is that most people give up. And as long as you don't give up and you keep stacking that wisdom and those victories and that emotional resilience, all of a sudden, the hills that used to seem insurmountable become very easy to attack. And all of that is what's running through my head when I need to self-soothe. And it will be there for you if you put in the work. All right, everybody, that's it. Speaking of things that will help you get better, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. And until next time, my friends, 
be legendary. Take care.